0: one thing to tell aspiring moms, uh, parents, new parents, parents parents-to-be, it's to lower your expectations and to give yourself a break. Don't hold yourself out to this parenting perfection, one, because it doesn't exist, and two, Mm. because you'll exhaust yourself trying to attain that. The most important thing in parenting is to feel good about what you're doing. If you are trying to fit into uh, um, someone else's notion of what a parent should be like, act like, feel like. It won't feel right
1: for you, and then you won't be your best parent. Welcome. You're listening to Mamas in Training, a podcast that gives expecting and new moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm Jessica Lorien, a mama in training myself. So let's get ready to learn all together about this thing called motherhood. As a mama in training, have you been anxious about that moment when you bring your baby home? You've had the support of the hospital or the birthing center, but now the experienced support is gone and you're adjusting to life with a newborn. What will those first two weeks be like, look like, and how the heck can we prepare for them? our guest today sharon Mazel, is a pregnancy and parenting expert by the end of this episode you'll have a better understanding of what your baby will look like what is normal for them day to day and we even get into the dreaded first postpartum poop for mom <laughs> she's a journalist by trade a mother of four and has a wealth of information that she shares daily through her instagram Listen in as we discuss those first two weeks, and you can gain a little bit of comfort in how to prepare.
0: First of all, Jessica, I'm so happy to be here with you. I, I um, think what you're doing is amazing and empowering and um, really so helpful for so many moms, moms to be,
1: hopeful moms to be out there, so um, kudos to you. Clearly, I could talk to Sharon, probably for an entire weekend, never mind an entire day or however much time we have here today, but really what I wanted to focus on is that first initial take home of the baby, that first initial one to two weeks. So we're going to talk about bringing a baby home in that first one to two weeks. And then if that's okay with you, Sharon, I actually have a few questions that came in from my premium members that I would love to get answered. That would be awesome. Sure, I will try. I will try. And and it's so true that um, I love how
0: you just framed that because we have in our minds, certainly when we're pregnant, what having a newborn will be like, maybe we have younger siblings, maybe we've babysat. But when you're handed that baby in the hospital that first time, and I have four children, and I'm, you know, I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. So you think I would like have all the answers when they hand you that Mm -hmm. baby, and then they, they send you out the door. (laughs) You're like, wait, I I don't think I can do this by myself. And that's even with having lots of information. So Um, It's really true. It is overwhelming and scary and potentially uh, filled with anxiety. But um, I I always like to tell parents, new parents, especially that they are not alone. Every single new parent is feeling the same way, that same like, oh, my God, now what? (laughs) I love that. You know, your 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 premium members are asking those questions um, because all new parents ask those questions.
1: Absolutely. And so. We've already gone through the whole pregnancy phase. We've gone through the birthing phase, which is something else we could all talk about, but we leave the hospital. One thing that I wanted to touch on first is the car seat. I think that that's something that people don't really talk about, and you can't leave the hospital without the car seat, so I just wanted to make sure we touch on the car seat and then setting up your home. Are there any couple little details that we have to make sure we definitely have in place before we're able to walk out those hospital doors. It's such a
0: great question, because a lot of parents don't realize that the, if you're giving birth in a hospital, obviously, if you're giving birth at home, it doesn't apply, right? But or, but a hospital or birthing center, if you're delivering there, they will not let you leave the hospital in a car, um, unless you have a, a car seat. Obviously, if you live close by and you're walkable, you know, you could push the stroller or hold the baby or something. But mm-hmm. if you're going to be in a car, whether it's your own car or a rented car, your in-laws car, an Uber, you're going to need a car seat, and um, you're going to need a an approved car seat and it's going to need to be a rear facing car seat which means the baby faces towards the back of the car um, which really throws a lot of new parents for a loop because especially if you're a single parent or you're driving alone and um, your baby is in the back seat not facing you um, and new parents even seasoned parents are like what am I gonna do the baby's facing backwards but it's really so important what they have found Um, over years and years and years of research and crash test uh, studies, is that the safest way for a baby to be, especially when you're talking about a baby under two years old, is um, rear-facing. It's because of the force of an accident. If one was to happen, it will push. If you think about it, right, if you get into an accident, whether you're rear-ended or or something, you will fly forward. So that's why we have mm-hmm. seatbelts as adults. For a baby, if a baby is facing forward, their body is just too little. They don't have that core strength that we do as adults. And if they're pushed forward, they will be very, very seriously injured because they might fall out of a forward-facing car seat if they're under age two. um, And they don't have that strength to even brace themselves. So when you have a rear-facing car seat in the the terrible uh, event that a a car accident may happen, that back of that car seat, when they're propelled forward, will save them, protect them. Um, enclose them in a safety harness, if you will, and so it's really important for parents to keep the baby in the back seat, rear facing, for as long as possible. And and I can't tell you over over the years how many times parents have said to me, "But I can't see the baby," and you know, and there are ways to do it. You could put safe mirrors in the car, um, but it's so you know, unless you're if you're taking a very long car ride, you can take stops so that you can see the baby, make sure you're attending to the baby, but. For safety's sake, always make sure your baby is rear-facing.
1: Yeah, and for sure, I think we should probably double check that we know how that car seat goes in before we're even at the hospital, right? <laughs> takes some time alone or with our partner to figure that out.
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. There's like a science to putting in car seats. Um, you have to get it at yes. exactly the right angle. There's different cars um, will, will have the car seat latch in differently. So definitely read up on whatever car seat you've bought, make sure you understand it. Um, If you want, or if you're not feeling um, 100% secure in your own abilities to secure that car seat, there are services that you can go to um, to have them check to make sure that your car seat is installed properly.
1: I know that for some, this may sound like a Obvious thing to talk about, but I don't really think it's something that's really you know a doctor will probably say oh make sure you get this or it'll be thrown onto your registry. But I just wanted it to be front of mind for everybody. And and then regarding your home, I mean we could probably have a whole entire episode on how to set up your home, right? But is there anything in particular that you would say maybe that. It's kind of unusual that moms don't usually think about or anything in particular you'd say like make sure you get this ready to go before anything else I know we all look at the design of the nursery and this and that but what what's really kind of maybe your top few essentials so it's,
0: it's, it's such a timely um, question because I am putting out um, a resource for new parents that will um, launch at the same time as my course, my newborn course, that is a full list for parents of the must-haves for the nursery, the nice-to-haves, and the Mm -hmm. definitely don't needs. And the (laughs) reason why I've broken it up into these three categories is because, you know, new parents, parents parents-to-be, are ripe for marketing. So as soon, Mm -hmm. especially first-timers, as soon as they see a... um, Uh, I'll I'll name something that is not on my list because it's in a way kind of silly and apologies to the manufacturers of this but I saw recently a diaper cream spatula that you can use to dip into the diaper (laughs) cream tub and then you know wipe it on your baby's tush and I looked at that and I said okay it's not so expensive so if you want to shell out your five dollars or whatever it is not such a big deal but it's such an unnecessary item but all of a sudden, if you're a new parent and you see it being marketed to you, you might think, "Oh, uh, do I need that? Of course, I need that, right?" Yeah. And you forget that our fingers are perfectly capable of, of smearing, exactly. you know, some
1: uh, I've also, some cream on our. I've also seen um, the for for boys the pee pee teepees. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it cracks me up. I'm like, you're not gonna have time to go find the pee pee teepee to put it on. <laughs> it's so much. It, that crazy. actually is
0: is. It's true, like you don't need the PPTP. I understand why it is being yes. manufactured. You should always yeah. try to cover your little baby's <laughs> penis for as long as possible while you're diaper changing because yeah. otherwise you will get a stream of pee in your face, <laughs> but um, you don't need a special gadget for it. No, no, oh, I love <laughs> um, it. So there are plenty of definitely don't needs and, um, and I have that on my list. I-, I think what's such an important lesson for expectant parents um, is that babies really don't need much. And um, it's really helpful to remember that they really just need you as parents. They need your love. They need your arms. They need your presence, um, and they need your knowledge of what's safe and unsafe. And everything else doesn't really matter. So the reason why I said they need to that you as a parent, a new parent will or a parent to be will need to know what's safe is because you asked for what the top and most important thing product is. I would say a safe crib or bassinet, mm-hmm. because. You can buy clothes after your baby is born, and it might even make sense to do that because then you'll know what size your baby is. You can buy a few, you know, one or two packets of diapers before your baby is born and then stock up afterwards. You can, um, if you're planning to bottle feed, you can buy one or two bottles beforehand and then wait to see what your baby likes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're planning to breastfeed or nurse, um, this, you know, you, there's not that many products that you need. Um, but what you need right away from day one is a safe bassinet or safe crib to put your baby in and there's a lot of, of confusion about what makes a, a crib or bassinet safe because and you just mentioned um, you'll, you'll you know you get excited about planning and, and designing a nursery and when you look at social media and you look at magazines or uh, advertisements or whatever you' you're seeing out there you will see Beautiful nurseries all decked out in these cribs with gorgeous comforters and bumpers and pillows beautifully arranged in that crib And parents are sometimes shocked to or parents to be or sometimes shocked to realize That crib should not have anything in it. No mm. bumpers. No blankets. No pillows. No stuffed animals. No nothing it needs to be completely empty just a, a Tight-fitting mattress and a tight-fitting sheet on that mattress. That's it. That's all a baby needs and um, that's such that's really what your baby needs and again it could be the bassinet or the crib you, ch- you choose for the first few um, months but um, beyond that there's not not much else <laughs> that you should be think, spending your money on
1: <laughs> yeah i think the biggest takeaway from that is to just remember that they don't need too much because i think we get into this phase of nesting and we want everything to be perfect and I know me, I'm a big to-do lister, so I've got my lists of, you know, I know that when that day comes, I'll be so listing everything out. But (laughs) just to remember that as long as you have those few essentials and you have a safe place to put the baby down. One thing I was curious about too, and I'm sure that this is something a doctor would say, but I'm just curious here as an aspiring mom, when can you mentally sort of think and prepare that a a newborn would need their first bath? The
0: bath is such a... um It's a question I get all the time. How many times should a baby be bathed? When should that first bath be? So um, one of the things that I've loved um, as I have been researching these topics for over two decades is that recommendations change. And so if you were giving birth, let's say 25 years ago or 30 years ago, um, your baby would get a bath in the hospital as soon as your baby was born. And now recommendations are that that first bath wait for as long as possible. Um, The World Health Mm. Organization recommends at least 24 hours after birth. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics uh, says, you know, at least uh, 8 to 10 hours or longer after birth. And the reason for delaying that first bath is because um, when your baby is in utero inside, um, there's a special coating on your baby. It's called Vernix. It's like a cheesy, waxy, almost like cottage cheesy coating. And it protects your Mm. baby from the amniotic fluid. And what um, what experts have learned over the years is there is additional protection that that vernix gives a baby even after the baby is out of the, the, the wet uterus, the, the, the fluid filled um, home. And so it helps with temperature regulation. Um, it helps. Uh, um, and which is such an important thing, by the way, temperature regulation, because a newborn, mm-hmm. especially in those first few hours, Um, can't really regulate their temperature yet. And so that's why- Right, not
1: used to the outside world. Exactly,
0: that's why it's recommended that you do um, uh, skin-to-skin contact with your baby. You put your baby directly naked directly on your skin so that the warmth your body heat helps to warm your baby and helps to regulate his Mm -hmm. or her temperature. So um, a a bath that's too early kind of takes away that protective built-in mechanism a little too soon. So delay, delay that first bath for as long as you want. Um, and then once your baby is home, there is no rule about how often to bathe your baby. You can bathe your baby every day if you want to. And if your baby enjoys it, you can bathe your baby every two to three days. Um, there is no rule because babies, sp- certainly newborns don't get very dirty, right? The dirty mm-hmm. part of their body is that diaper area. And believe me, yeah. you will be changing and cleaning, cleaning that area <laughs> multiple times a day. So, <laughs> exactly. Beyond that, um, you don't really need to bathe your baby all that often. Another thing that's really important is that um, until that, until your baby's umbilical stump falls off, the umbilical mm-hmm. cord that will be clamped and then um, it will start to shrivel up, it will eventually fall off four to eight days maybe, uh, depending on the baby after birth. So until then, you don't wanna be submerging your baby into a bath water. so you're just gonna be giving sponge baths anyway. Uh, Again, the diaper area will be clean, but you might want to um, clean in the neck folds because right. especially if your baby has a lot of rolls, you know, yeah. little lint and dirt can get in there inside their clenched fists. You'll want to open it up and clean mm-hmm. in there. But it's not like babies are sweating. So the sponge bath right. is fine. And then even once you're ready for a full bath, um, every two to three days is fine unless you wanna give your baby a bath every day and it's part of the night routine or the bedtime routine or it's something that's soothing to a baby. Some babies love being bathed mm. and some babies scream bloody murder in right. the laptop. <laughs> so you'll get to know where your what, what type of your baby is.
1: Exactly. Um, One topic that I really wanted to dive into, and I think it's going to be pretty substantial, is the physical aspect of a baby. But before we move into that, I did just want to touch on something for mom that I think is very important that um, we don't really talk about too much. (laughs) It's that first postpartum poop. I saw this in an article that you shared and you had commented that it's a bit slow in coming and so I thought you know what let's talk about it let's get it out there right because so many moms do have so much struggle with this and especially whether they have had a c-section or had given birth naturally so what would be your your tips and advice for this whole topic
0: (laughs) it's a very very scary experience for um, for new moms I I have four children and um, for vaginal births, and every time I needed to get on that toilet afterwards, I was dreading it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, all the new moms out there, or the you know, expectant moms, just know that you will be able to poop again. <laughs> it <really laughs> will happen, but um, it will be scary. I guess the the best advice that I can give is. Um, well two things number one make sure that you are using stool softeners so that your poop is soft because the last thing you want to be is um is is pooping out hard large poops um because that will hurt Mm -hmm. um and if you've had certainly if you've had a c-section but even if you've delivered vaginally and and had any kind of pain relief an epidural or something like that Those um, that will slow down your digestive system. So the good news is that um, most, oh, well, let me say two things. The good news is that you won't be needing to um, have that first bowel movement right away, both because your digestive system has slowed down, and also because many women, before they go into labor, actually um, have diarrhea or will poop a lot, because that's the body's Mm -hmm. way of getting them ready to right. um, have a baby. Um, don't be worried about pooping on the table when you're delivering. That's also very normal <laughs> and natural. And um, uh, every doctor, midwife, nurse has seen it he's all. Used so to don't, is <laughs> used to it, exactly. So don't worry <laughs> about that. But that what that does, though, is it usually makes your um, large intestines, your colon, emptier. So um, Mother Nature is smart, so uh, mm-hmm. you're not going to pr- you're probably not going to need to poop that first day or two postpartum. But um, but if you take your stool softeners, if you eat food that is high in fiber, which you should be doing anyway at, as um, just as general health, nutrition, recovery. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, if you're if you're breastfeeding um, to help you know, produce healthy milk so um lots of fruit and vegetables so hopefully you will be in a place that that first poop will not be painful Mm -hmm. um and just don't strain really hard if you've had stitches or if you've torn but um but you will get through it i promise and the second one, you won't even notice because
1: you'll be too busy taking care of your baby. Exactly. <laughs> that's really helpful because for someone like me, and I have a very specific diet, it's very clean, and I work out a lot, and so <laughs> TMI for all my listeners, but I am very consistent. <laughs> and so that would be something that for me, I would need to know, because I would get a little bit concerned, you know, if day two came around and I hadn't had a bowel movement yet, I'd be like, uh, what's wrong, you know? So that's so helpful, I wanted to share too. I don't know when um, this episode is going to align with the other one, but I interviewed um, a friend of mine, Kelly, and she is a mom of twins. And she explained that just for context for everyone listening, if you hadn't heard it already, when she had her first poop postpartum, her Fitbit calculated it as a cardio event. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that amazing?
0: I love that. That is hysterical. So
1: funny. I'm going to steal that story, if I
0: may, because it's just the funniest thing.
1: Of course. She wouldn't mind. She would love it, especially when I tell her that you're the one that's going to steal it. She's going to love it. So funny.
0: the funniest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay, so I want to move on now to... um, the physical side of things, because so many, you know, you you go especially on these Facebook groups and everything. All these moms are always posting up all of the physical aspects. You know, wow, oh, what's going on with my newborn? And there's a lot of changes in what they might look like. And I saw in some of the things that you had written about, you were talking specifically first about weight and how they might actually lose some weight in the first few days and then regain it. So can you just touch on that and what we can expect with that?
0: sure um it it is shocking for parents when they you know get their baby and the baby is weighed and they you know they hear oh it's seven and a half pounds and um uh and then at the second day or something even when they leave the hospital let's say um the baby may lose five percent of that and that's that, that as a new mom you're like oh my gosh what am i doing wrong am i not feeding my baby enough is my milk not good all that stuff so um and it happens with breastfeeding babies or with formula feeding babies and the reason um, is is just because of um, fluid, the baby's losing some fluid. Um, certainly if you are breastfeeding, if you're nursing, um, you're only, you only have colostrum, which is that pre-milk, mm. it's that thick yellow, antibody-rich milk, which is just tablespoons, um, and it's all your baby needs because your baby's stomach in those first days um, is the size of one cherry. It's tiny. Wow. And yeah, and parents don't always realize that because, you know, no. you think, okay, I got to give them a four ounce bottle. But when you think yeah. about the size of a cherry, I mean, I'm showing the size of a cherry. I know we're on audio here, yeah. but um, it's really small. And so that's why newborns need to eat very often because their, their stomachs are mm. tiny and they, it needs to be refilled. But um, it's also why babies don't need that much food in the beginning, and it also explains why they lose a little weight. So um, they'll lose a little weight in the first few days, but then they'll regain it. By the end of the first or second week, they will have regained and probably even surpassed their birth weight. So um, don't be nervous if you see that happening. It's completely normal and expected. Don't be nervous if it doesn't happen because it doesn't happen to every single baby. Right. Every baby is different. and. Um, and and that's something that I say very often as reminders to parents, don't compare your baby. Your baby is unique. And even though we expect certain things to happen, your baby will do these things or maybe not do these things. And that's
1: right. okay because every baby is different. Absolutely, that's probably the biggest takeaway from, from this entire conversation, I think. <laughs> um, a couple things physically too I wanted to touch on. Things you had mentioned in the past were, you know, of course, their head becoming a cone head, their face or skin potentially um, having jaundice, their eyes being crossed. So, are these kind of all things that we can expect and they're all normal?
0: Yes, they are all normal. Um, a baby does not come out of uh, being born, certainly from a vaginal delivery, looking like um, a cherub or
1: Instagram-worthy. Yeah. <laughs> My um, husband always says he thinks they look like aliens. <laughs> I'm
0: like, I'm like they, well, you're going to think differently when we have ours. <laughs> they either look like aliens or very old men, yeah. is usually <laughs> what what newborns look like. If you ever watch a movie. You see the, the heroine, you know, giving birth, the sweat pouring down her face, she's panting, her mm-hmm. partner is there, you know, encouraging her, and they lift the baby up to the baby, to the mom, and they give it to her, and then you see this gorgeous, perfect, no skin blemishes, round-headed yep. baby, and if you know, right, if you know babies, if you have ever had a baby, you know that that's like a three-month-old, not right? a one-minute-old <laughs> exactly. baby, so... Right. Um, yeah, m- newborn babies are not particularly beautiful. And um, again, I've had four newborns and um, they all looked a little different, but I can't say that any of them were particularly beautiful at, right. at first. Um, your baby may have a cone head. Um, certainly if you um, have been pushing for a long time during during childbirth, um, the baby's head is wedged in that birth canal, so it molds, it's supposed to mold. Um, mm. That's why Baby, baby's uh, skull bones are actually not fused until six to eight months. So that's why you'll see like the fontanelle, which is a depression in the top of the head um, in, in a young baby. That's so that during birth, the baby's head can mold and fit through the birth For canal. Purpose, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's there. you know, mother nature is really brilliant. <laughs> designed absolutely everything really well. mind yep. blowing, Yeah, but you, it may, the end result is that your baby may look like an alien because of that cone head that it, your baby's head will round out in, in a few weeks. So that's not a problem. Um, your baby's eyes may be very puffy, again, from that squeeze through the birth canal. Um, also, if you're delivering in a hospital, they are the staff there is most likely giving your baby um, antibiotic drops in the eyes. That makes your baby's eyes a little puffy. That will go away in a few hours to a few days. Your baby's eyes may look crossed. Um, that will also go away in a few weeks to months. Um, there's so many newborn appearances there's gonna be blemishes you there you know birthmarks I'm trying to think what else um, hair all over your baby's body right your baby yeah. may look like a more hair a loss bit. too right well so a lot of babies babies have hair when they're in utero again that's for warmth and yeah. for protection and so depending on if your baby was born very early then your baby will have a lot more hair if your baby was born mm-hmm. um, late on time or late um, your baby will have less hair because it does fall out. Um, babies who are born mm-hmm. with body hair um, or even he- hair on the head, sometimes well, the body hair most certainly will, or most, o- almost will, will always fall out in a couple of weeks to months. The hair on the head, some babies will um, be born with a full head of hair that will then fall out and then they'll regrow it. Other babies will have a full head of hair that won't fall out. So every baby is different again. Um, yeah. my, my, first, my first baby was born with a little bit of peach fuzz and then the second baby was born completely bald. We did not know what her hair color was gonna be until she was a year and a half <laughs> because she was bald. My third <laughs> baby was born with so much hair, like it was curly already um, and it never oh, fell like out. Gosh. And my fourth was somewhere in the middle. So y- anything goes when it comes to hair on the head. So, um, but most of these newborn, uh, these weird newborn uh, uh, appearances disappear within the first week to eight weeks, I guess. And um, you will get that picture-perfect baby that you've been hoping for um, within within a few weeks.
1: I think it's so important too, especially you mentioned skin blemishes. I, you actually put up a post recently about eczema, psoriasis, acne, all of that. And I, I asked you about that on, on Instagram because I feel like comes up more often than not and parents get concerned about what's going on does my my baby have a skin condition so I'll just say at what point would you say that especially baby skin issues and also I guess anything else how long should we let it persist until it's kind of okay get this checked out It's a great
0: question. The good thing for new parents um, is that certainly in the first six months, and a lot depends on the pediatrician's preferences, but you're usually taking your baby to the doctor monthly. And so um, you are able to have that time, that FaceTime, hopefully in person, um, even if it's over uh, uh, telehealth these days, but you're able to show the doctor, oh, what's this? Ask the questions about that. So um, certainly there's not going to be, for the most part, a month that will go by that you wouldn't be able to show it to the doctor. Yeah. Um, I, one thing that I always tell new parents is that if your gut is telling you that something is wrong, if you are unsure about something, if you have a question, if you can't sleep at night, not because the baby's keeping you up, but because (laughs) your racing head is keeping you up, just just put in a call to the doctor, put a, a message on the portal. That's what um, pediatricians are there for. They're there to answer your questions and they get these questions again and again and again and so you shouldn't feel shame in asking any questions. I'm married to a doctor, so I, I know that we get middle of the night phone calls all the mm, time. Um So, So doctors are there, nurses are there to help answer those questions. So if you are looking at a rash or a skin blemish and you are freaking out about it, call the doctor. Um, most rashes are nothing to be concerned about they will go away eczema is something that um, should be looked at by a doctor um, even between visits I would say if it's gotten really bad um, if it's on more than one body part um, and it's spreading just because there are treatments that you can start and the earlier you get started treating the better for the baby things like baby acne all four of my kids had baby acne I did not take any pictures of them, but for between age two weeks and whatever <laughs> it was, a uh, month and a half, um, it was all over their faces. Mm-hmm. It is hard to look at, but um, I promise it goes away, and they have beautiful skin now. <laughs> I love that. Um, that is not something to worry about. Heat rashes, not something to worry about, um, chapped, chapped cheeks, If it's, certainly if it's cold outside, not something to worry about, um, teething um, rashes, which come from drool on the chin, right. not something to worry about. Um, Birthmark is not something to worry about unless it's very, very large, but your doctor will have seen that already after delivery. So most, the vast majority of rashes, blemishes are um, not anything to worry about. But again, if if it's keeping you up at night, ask because at the very least you'll get the reassurance that you need. Um, and at the, I shouldn't say very worst, but the very best, if it is something that needs medical attention, you will have alerted the, the physician to um, to, to what it is, so you're, either way, it's, it's win-win.
1: Yeah, I think no matter what, we're probably gonna be concerned to a certain extent, but it's just comforting to hear overall how common all of these things are, and and that, like we said, you know, you're not alone, this is all the same, it, it's good to hear this stuff. Quickly, because we, we could talk about sleep for, oh gosh, an entire episode, and I've done <laughs> that, but I'd just love your thoughts on two things regarding sleep both swaddling and then pacifiers and thumb sucking and and those two things. So what are your thoughts on both of those? Necessity, what do you think? So I'll
0: preface those answers because I will give you uh, my answer by saying that other than safety, nothing else matters. So you do what feels right for you as a parent. Um, If you feel that swaddling is right for you, for your baby, do it, if you don't, don't do it. If you feel pacifiers work for you and your baby, do it, if you don't, don't do it. So that, that's just a preface, there is no right answer here. Um, when it comes to swaddling, um, some babies love to be swaddled because it recreates that feeling in the womb, they feel cozy, they, they don't startle during their sleep, and for them it is very comforting and therefore they tend to sleep better and longer, which is what every parent wants certainly in the beginning and, yeah. and continuing on. So, so if, you're, if you find that your baby likes to be swaddled, go for it there's nothing wrong with doing it do stop swaddling when your baby starts to roll over which in some babies can be as early as eight weeks old that's two months Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because it is unsafe for a baby who can roll over or or can almost roll over to be swaddled um, and, and rolling over onto their tummy so again for safety reasons you need to stop swaddling as soon as your baby starts to to roll over if your baby does not like to be swaddled or if your baby doesn't need to be swaddled is your baby sleeping well without the swaddling then don't swaddle your baby. Again, I have four yeah. children, so I have like a lot of experience with different types of babies and they're all mine. <laughs> um, my yeah. oldest one, cause she was my first, I, I thought, okay, I have to swaddle. So I swaddled and then, you know, for the first couple of naps and she slept fine. And then I, somebody else put her down, I think my husband put her down for a nap and didn't swaddle her and she slept just as fine. So I never swaddled her again, she was fine. My second one liked to be swaddled, but she hated having her hands Um, uh, restricted so I swaddled her with her arms out yeah so every baby is is, is different and there's no there's no you don't have to swaddle and and again this goes back to what we were talking about before that that um, so many products are marketed to new parents and um, you know you, you certainly see so many wonderful and beautiful swaddles on the market so every parent feels that they have to buy up all these swaddles and always swaddle their baby, but I'm telling you, you don't have to. Um, If your baby likes it, Mm -hmm. you can. If your baby doesn't need it, then don't bother. Um, The second thing that you asked about was pacifiers. So again, some babies love pacifiers. They have a very strong sucking reflex, and um, they like to be comforted, or they are comforted, they are pacified by the pacifier, and other babies never want it. They'll spit it out. They won't take it. Um, it's a struggle for parents to put it in. So if your baby is is not taking it, then don't bother giving it to your baby. Um, if your baby, all four of my babies loved the pacifier. They could not get mm. enough of it, and so all four of them had it. Um, it's fine in the beginning to use a pacifier. It's actually protective against sudden infant death syndrome because it helps to open the airways during sleep. Um, It does not cause nipple confusion. A lot of parents worry about that. Studies have shown that it does not cause nipple confusion. and I would say use it as often as you want in the beginning, but have in mind by six months if you're still using a pacifier to limit it to sleep uh, at at that time so that your baby is only using it for sleep and then try to start thinking about weaning your baby off of the pacifier around uh, uh, somewhere between age one and two, Uh, definitely by age two. So um, those are my thoughts on pacifiers and um, swaddle.
1: Yeah, that's really, really helpful too because I've, well, two things. I feel like after the six months, it, if you just use it for sleep, it could kind of end up being a little bit of a sleep aid and a sleep signal, um, just like a lullaby or something like that might be. And then the other thing I was thinking is um, I was reading about how you were writing in an article that babies do suck, that that's a common thing that they enjoy doing and that's part of what they do. Um, and so it's helpful to know that, go ahead and give it a try, it's not harmful, but it's also not necessary. Um, but it is encouraging something that they, that's normal, that's in their, their normal behavior, so that's really helpful.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Sucking is one of those newborn reflexes, which we understand why they have it. It's so that they can eat and survive. But um, some babies like to suck more than um, just during eating. Um, Mm. And so. And I will say this, again, because my philosophy is always do what works best for you when you're a parent. So so if you're nursing, if you're breastfeeding your baby right from the tap, as I like to call it, (laughs) um, and your baby likes to suck and you don't want to give your baby a pacifier or your baby doesn't like a pacifier, That's another way to pacify your baby. So some moms will say, I don't wanna use my boob as the pacifier. And some moms say, "Ah, that's what it's there for. So let my baby enjoy it. So again, you know, it's your baby, your choice. You do what you wanna do.
1: Love that, your baby, your choice. That might be the quote of this episode. (laughs) The last thing I wanna touch on before we get into just a a couple, a few questions here, not too many, is tummy time. You had posted up um, something on Instagram couple months back about tummy time and I thought oh I definitely have to ask her about that someday because it's something I think that's we hear kind of a lot in what to expect in the normal few days right with a newborn but what if they don't like it what are some tips that they can use what, what, what should we think about tummy time so I can assure you that your newborn will not like it. <laughs> so let me just put that out there right now:
0: um, your newborn will not like it, but you know you'll persevere. So the reason why tummy time is so important is because um, your baby will be sleeping on his or her back, right? That's the safest way for your baby to sleep. And your baby certainly, in the beginning, will be sleeping a lot. Um, your baby will not be getting that much time on on the tummy, and so. Um, you need to do that during play. So the, the American Academy of Pediatrics tagline, um, I, I think it might still might be, is um, back to sleep, tummy to play. And so that's a very important message for parents to to. to internalize. When your baby is playing make sure that your baby is in lots of different positions including on the tummy and the side even as your baby gets older. Tummy time is so important because your baby needs to strengthen those head, neck, shoulder, arm, torso, core muscles to be able to eventually sit up, crawl, roll over, um, pull up to standing and all those other large motor skills that we know are coming down the line for your baby, and if your baby gets doesn't get that practice, your baby will be delayed in those milestones, and um, and so it's really important to practice tummy time. And you could start tummy time from day one, and again, your oh, baby really? won't like it, but you can do it. Well, let's say day two. Let's give your let's give your baby a little yeah, a little one break. Day rest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or let's say the first week. Um, I yes. don't want to pressure anybody. That first week, you can start putting your baby on tummy time, and start with a minute or two. Um, If your baby can stand two minutes, then sure, you know, push it to three if you want, but follow your baby's cues. If your baby is really protesting, um, don't force your baby into tummy time, but also don't stop tummy time the second your baby seems to struggle lifting his or her head because your baby will struggle and needs to struggle. That's yeah. the whole purpose of tummy time, to get it's your baby gym,
1: right? It's exactly like their gym exactly. working
0: out. <laughs> this is their workout and you are their yeah. personal trainer. So yeah. you know, you wanna like you wanna encourage them and push them and and there are ways of making it more fun for your baby certainly as your baby gets a little older um, let's say you know four to eight to twelve weeks when you want to really be making sure that every day your baby is, is spending time and tummy time you can put a mirror in front of your baby's face so he has something to look at you can get down yourself on your tummy on the floor so she can look at you um, that's mm-hmm. exciting you can put your baby on your tummy while you're lying down tummy mm-hmm. to tummy so that your baby is sort of on a flat surface, but not really because your body's not 100% yeah. flat, but that also strengthens those neck muscles. You can um, put your baby on an inclined pillow to help, certainly in the beginning to help, um, encourage your baby to lift that head. Um, so there are plenty of ways to, to make tummy time more palatable for your baby. Um, mm-hmm. But don't be stressed about, I always tell this to parents, don't be stressed about a, a certain time, I must put my baby in tummy time for five minutes. Follow your baby's cues, encouraging your baby, coming up with different ways to make it more enjoyable, and stop after a minute or two if your baby is struggling. And then work your way up so that each day or each week your baby is spending more time in tummy time. Um, And eventually you want your baby to be in different positions, on the side, on the back during play, on the tummy during play, um, in your arms, front facing, rear facing. There's so many different ways to get your baby's body working out
1: love it all of that stuff oh my gosh i I feel like we just skimmed the surface but so many good little details in there because we know of course that they're going to be eating sleeping and pooping and, and doing a little tummy time but all of those little elements about what to expect when the way that they look and sleep and play or their workout is just so so helpful for us so thank you so much for sharing all of that i'd love to just wrap up by answering some of the questions that we had from our premium members and if you're listening and you would like more information about our premium membership or you'd like to join us next month because we'll be meeting the last monday of every month we're meeting online you can just click on the link in the show notes that says premium membership and you can get your questions answered as well so first one i want to dive into is from a premium member named amanda and this is actually going back toward the pregnancy time because she's currently pregnant she was trying to decipher, do you have any tips on how to decipher the difference between regular kicks and Braxton Hicks? So um, kicks, you'll start to feel much
0: earlier than a Braxton Hick. A Braxton Hicks are a practice contraction. So it's basically your body getting geared up, also working out for the eventual birth. Um, a Braxton Hick, you'll feel your uterus tightening and it will just sort of, it won't be painful, but you'll feel sort of, if you're touching your belly, you'll feel as if everything has just um, tightened. Mm. Um, a kick, which will start much earlier, um, in first time m- pregnant moms, um, a little later than second timers, because they know what they're feeling for. A kick will, when your baby is very little, it will feel like flutters, almost like gas bubbles. You may think that, you know, you're just uh, gassy. And mm. then as that continues, you realize, wait, I'm, I'm actually not gassy. That little butterfly in there is my baby. Um, And as your baby gets bigger and stronger, and those muscles develop and those bones harden, you will start to feel those kicks like kicks or punches. Your baby will punch, your baby (laughs) will kick with those feet. And as your baby gets even bigger, and there's less room in there for your baby to do somersaults, because you know at a certain point your baby can't move that much, yeah. you'll start to feel—we still call them kicks, but they're not really kicks in that same way. You'll start to feel like a knee poking at you, or an elbow kind of jabbing you, or you'll feel your baby flip over, turn, and maneuver. So like you'll—you if you follow, it's as if like you're following the baby's head or the baby's tush go from side to side. Mm-hmm. So um, so kicks. Feel different than Braxton Hicks because Braxton Hicks, your entire um, uterus or stomach area will will tighten, um, mm. and with a kick or a a flutter or a nudge or a move you'll feel it in one area and and you'll you'll get to learn your your baby's body parts in there you'll start to say oh okay I know that's a knee or I know that's an elbow or I know that's a butt mm,
1: <laughs> so exactly. you'll be able to discern the- My next question comes from premium member Jess and she is talking more about pregnancy when you already have younger children that are hard to keep up with. So what would you say are some ways to approach staying well, especially when you start to get further along in your pregnancy and you might have one or two at home already? It is it is funny how when we're pregnant
0: with our first and we don't have other children at home, it's the most overwhelming thing where we're noticing every symptom, we're you know, focused on everything that we do, everything the baby's doing. And then when you're pregnant with number two or number three and you have other little ones at home, the pregnancy kind of takes um, a back seat because you're so focused on your toddlers or your children or however age they are. So um, it's a great question because you you can't forget about yourself. You still have to be healthy, yeah. eat healthily, um, take care of yourself, exercise when you can, and also rest when you can. It's definitely much harder to rest when you're pregnant <laughs> and you have um, babies or, or toddlers or other children at home. Um, so my my best advice would be to um to try to give yourself time every day even if it's just five minutes of your own time if your babies if your children at home are still napping you know try to use that time not to do the chores or to get in a load of laundry you can do that another time but try to just take some time for yourself even if it's a 15 minute cat nap power nap we'll call it Mm -hmm. um a time to meditate, a time to watch TV, a time to, to catch up on social media, whatever gives you joy or gives you just time yeah. to yourself. Take that time because um, it's really important to give yourself that time even when you have other children at home. And then um, and then try to sleep as much as you can at night because <laughs> um, you'll, you'll, you won't be sleeping that much when your newborn um, is waking you up and the other children in the house. So um, right. try to get that in when you can. <laughs> But, um, and depending on the age of your children, there is a way to sort of enlist their help in helping you stay healthy. Um, If you know that you haven't had your vegetables for the day, you know, bring them into the kitchen and give them a a safe knife so that they can chop um, the vegetables with you and make both of you a salad. Um, Mm -hmm. If they're old enough and you're really tired, you can say, you know, whatever uh, you know Aiden come with me um, and let's just rest together you can lie down next to me in my bed Um, there are ways to certainly help your um, yourself with the help of your older child Um, certainly if your children are even older it makes it even easier because they can really help
1: (laughs) I've even thought at one point you know depending on what your other children are like but if you kind of make something like meditation or quiet time a thing that you do and that they do too whether it's that they are having time playing alone or whatever but kind of involving them in that because I bet they could learn it and and almost be empowered by it so A hundred percent,
0: a hundred percent. I always so many parents ask me and I know this is not our topic because this is about older toddlers, but they'll they'll always ask me like my toddler has given up their last nap of the day, um, but they are so overtired and they're exhausted. And I say even when a child has given up that nap, try to build in rest time in that afternoon Yeah. um, because and it doesn't matter what rest looks like, it could be quiet playing, it could be um, just just sitting um, in, in the crib or the bed again, depending on the age of the child, even if they don't sleep. Um, It could be reading a book with you or without you, Um, something, or it could be meditation if your child is old enough to be able to understand how to, you know, just breathe in and out. It doesn't, your child doesn't Mm. have to be that old to understand that. But it's so important because it's a great lesson that that child can take, that your child can take into young adulthood, um, into the rest of childhood and young adulthood and adulthood, that we need that grounding and centering time everybody as adults during during the day and so if if that becomes part of their daily routine or practice even from an early age how wonderful uh what a great lesson absolutely you know parents have the opportunity to teach
1: i have one final question for you and thank you for your time because i know that this this episode's gone longer than we usually do but i just feel like I need to ask you everything. (laughs) My last question for my premium members, one thing we're talking a lot about, and I actually have um, someone coming in this month to speak on this topic, is boundary setting. So any advice that you have on boundary setting, specifically with family members, whether it's your own or in-laws, once the baby is born, and that ties back into our conversation of those first couple weeks with a baby home. Such a great question and such a
0: challenge for so many new parents. And again, I want to say that if you are being challenged with this, um, with boundaries or unsolicited advice, you are not alone. It's it, it, something that most new parents um, are dealing with. I, the boundaries are really hard with um, parents or in-laws, um, uh, especially because parents feel, you know, well look, I'm the expert, right? I've done it before. Right. I've raised you, and now I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, I think something that can work really well is to um, instead of creating an adversarial um, relationship with that family member or that person who's who's maybe overstepping their bounds is to create a partnership and a partnership of saying i know that you want to help me and i so appreciate that help i also know and i know that you know that recommendations have changed advice has changed um, things are different than they were 30, 35 years ago. And so I want you to learn them along with me. So follow this Instagram account or read this book or watch that course or read this article or follow that app or whatever it is so that you too, mom, dad, mom-in-law, can learn together with me as I'm learning. And so then it doesn't feel she or he is telling me what to do, it feels, it feels more like he or she is trying to help me. And so mm-hmm. that, that's helpful for you as a new parent and also helpful for them because they want to help. And they're, they're, it's in, they, they, they think that they're doing what's in your best interest, but they might not know how to do it. Right. So just like you're teaching your baby, you also might have to teach your parents, you know, you're that sandwich right. generation, right?
1: Right. And it kind of makes them feel like they're included, too, as opposed to, no, this is what we're doing, not what you say kind of thing. So that's really helpful. Exactly.
0: And also recognize that, um, especially when it comes to parent-in-laws, that the person that you have chosen to be your partner um, is probably very different from you or your your nuclear family that you grew up with. And by design, right, you usually (laughs) choose people that are somewhat different. And so recognize that. Um, your in-law family um, will have different philosophies on parenting um, and think differently about how to raise children than you might. And again, if you can have open communication, conversation, it's always better than to harbor resentment from from both sides. And so I know that's not always so easy for, for everybody. But if you can, that would be the goal. If you can't, then just take a deep breath and say, thank you so much, I appreciate your help. And then when they leave, you can scream into a pillow. (laughs) If I had one thing to tell your aspiring moms, uh, parents, new parents, parents parents-to-be, it's to lower your expectations and to give yourself a break. Don't hold yourself out to this parenting perfection. One, because it doesn't exist, and two, Mm -hmm. because you'll exhaust yourself trying to attain that. Um, The most important thing, and I, I know I've said this and I'll say it again, the most important thing in parenting is to feel good about what you're doing if you are trying to fit into um, someone else's notion of what a parent should be like act like feel like it won't feel right for you and then you won't be your best parent so do do what feels best for you again um, uh, assuming we're not I'm not talking about the safety things right obviously you want to keep your right. baby on your their back to sleep even if you feel that you know st- tummy sleeping might be better mm-hmm. safety of course aside but everything else Just do what feels best for you. Don't expect you to parent the way that celebrity is parenting, right? Because we all know that what they're showing on social media isn't actually what's happening in their lives, Um, the reality. (laughs) Don't expect to be this perfect parent that isn't going to do anything wrong. You will do things that are wrong, whatever that means. Um, But it's okay because the most important thing is that your baby is loved and that you are feeling comfortable about the way you are loving your baby. That's all the baby needs. Your presence, your love, um, and everything will will be fine. You will look back on these very trying newborn days and realize, oh, none of that really mattered. Just the fact that I was there and I fed my baby and I held my baby and I gave my baby kisses. That's what mattered the most.
1: Absolutely. You are about to launch a newborns one-on-one course, right? I am,
0: yes. Instagram has been really amazing. I've Um, been able to reach and talk to and talk with um, so many parents hopeful parents about all topics from fertility to pregnancy to postpartum to parenting first year toddler years preschool years that's sort of where i stop (laughs) after the preschool years and i've been trying to just come up with all these different resources that help parents where they are. So I'm doing courses as well. I, you know, when the beginning of the pandemic started, I did a lot of Zoom courses, um, because everyone was home, and we couldn't do in-person courses anymore. And I found that people loved it. And so um, I'm really excited that I'm about to launch my new and improved newborns 101 course. And it's two hours of jam-packed information, simplified so that you don't get overwhelmed. It really gives expectant or brand new parents everything that they need to know about their brand new newborn so i'm really excited about that thank you for mentioning that
1: of course of course that's fascinating and we'll have all those links to get a handle on the course right away in the show notes sharon thank you thank you a million times over i'm so grateful absolutely thank you so much and good
0: luck with everything you're doing and all um, you hopeful moms out there and moms to be Good luck with everything. You could always reach out. I'm always, I'm always around. Thank you.
1: <laughs> As a mother or a future mother, community is essential. It is one of the biggest tips I hear from moms who've been there. If you love this podcast and want more support and community through your journey, whether you're an expecting mom, an aspiring mom like me, or a seasoned mom, we've developed a community just for you. Join Mamas in Training Premium Circle for only $10 a month. You'll join an exclusive group of strong and inspirational women who are just like you. As a Premium Circle member, you'll join us on Zoom at the end of every month. This is where you'll be able to form strong connections in breakout rooms, share where you're at and what you're feeling, and even meet podcast guests that I bring in to ask your questions directly to them. You will also have access to our private Facebook group for premium members only, so we can keep in touch throughout the month. And last but certainly not least, you'll get on-air shout-outs in future episodes. If you sign up in this first week of October, you will also get the first month free, so you can make sure it's the right fit, but I think you're going to love it. Sign up is super easy. Just click on the link in the show notes that says Premium Membership. Our next meeting is the last Monday of the month, and I can't wait to see you there. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at MamasinTraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.